Hi all, it's Isabel here. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. This decision and the subsequent decisions that will be made after something as disastrous as this will actively affect millions of Americans all across the country. It's time for us to be brave and speak out for those who can't, those we love, and for ourselves. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. And a big shout out to Ariel Nissenblatt on Twitter at Ari This and That for organizing this for fellow podcasters. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Demons. What is it about them that fascinates us so much? We could blame it on the movies. We could say that our fascination with these inhuman spirits and the power they possess is intensified by the barrage of demonic movies in pop culture. But if my research into the paranormal has taught me anything, it's that that assumption is wrong. People have been fascinated with demons for as long as the written word has been around. In fact, we are so fascinated with them that there are multiple texts devoted to not only identifying these demons, but also on how to protect ourselves from them, and maybe even defeat them. From the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Vendidad, people have been desperate for answers. One of the most prominent of these books is called The Lesser Key of Solomon, and this is where we would find Valak, the 62nd President of Hell. If that name sounds familiar to you, then you're not alone. Most of the world knows who the demon Valak is now, thanks to director James Wan and his 2016 cinematic hit The Conjuring Part 2. However, much like the demon Pazuzu, who was immortalized on film but greatly misrepresented, Valak is nothing like his cinematic counterpart. In the movie, Valak is depicted as a razor-toothed nun, complete with habit and rosary, who appears as such in an attempt to shake the faith of medium Lorraine Warren. Valak defiles the souls of the living in an attempt to lay waste humanity. Well, I'm here to end the series on demons from around the world by telling you all who the real Valak is, and hopefully it doesn't disappoint you. Let's start this informative programming by talking about the Lesser Key of Solomon, an anonymous grimoire on demonology that lists the 72 spirits of Solomon that humanity should watch out for. Also known as the Lemegeton Claricula Salomonis, or the Little Key of Solomon, this collection is divided into five smaller texts, each with their individual purpose. The Ars Goetia, the first of the five, is what we'll be focusing on today since this is where we can find all the information we need on Volok. The Ars Goetia actually contains information on all 72 demons of Solomon and their corresponding sigils. The word Goetia refers to the evocation of demons and or evil spirits. So, if your intent is to summon one of these suckers, then this is the book you'll want to read. 
According to the text, each of the 72 demons is commanded by one of four kings of the cardinal directions of hell. There is Amenon, king in the east, Corson, who's king in the west, Ziminar in the north, and Ga'ap in the south. Balak is the 62nd of these 72 demons and is president under Amenon. It might not sound like a super high rank, but he does govern 30 legions of demons, so it's a pretty good gig. In Thomas Rudd's version of the Lesser Key of Solomon, the Liber Malorum Spiritum Seagosha, or the Book of Evil Spirits, or Goetia, the book also lists the 72 angels of the Shem Hamaferosh, which counter the 72 demons. But his version is the only one that has that special feature. In case you're interested in the other books of the Lesser Key of Solomon, there's the Ars Theosia Goetia, which lists the four emperors of the cardinal points, Carnesiel in the east, Amanadiel in the west, Demoriel in the north, and Caspiel in the south. This book also lists the 16 dukes of hell, along with the 11 wandering princes. Volok is listed as one of these wandering princes, but the information here is the same as the one found in the Ars Goetia, so you don't really have to go out of your way to find anything new. Then the third book is the Ars Paulina, which was delivered by Paul the Apostle and is divided into two portions. The first detailing the 24 angels that are aligned with the 24 hours of the day, and the second describing the 360 spirits that are associated with the Zodiac. After that, there's the fourth book, Ars Amadel, which is like an instruction manual on how to create a wax tablet that can be used to contact spirits. And finally, the fifth book is the Ars Notoria, a series of prayers that when recited correctly, gives the speaker the power of instant knowledge and an eidetic memory. You know how they're always saying that knowledge is power? Well, the Ars Notoria is what's going to give you that power. Obviously, at a price. Now, Back to our friend Volok. It would be really cool of me to tell you all that Volok is just as scary appearing in real life as he is in the movies. But unfortunately for me, and for you I guess too, I'm not here to spread misinformation. Volok is not presented as a seven foot nun demon with razor sharp teeth and gray skin. He actually looks more like a baby. Okay, well, maybe not a baby, but he is a fallen angel who appears in the form of a small boy with angel wings. Think cherub, but if the cherub was riding a two-headed dragon instead of flying around playing the harp. According to his passage in the Lesser Key of Solomon, he is, quote, a president mighty and great, and appeareth like a child with wings, riding on a two-headed dragon. His office is to give true answers of hidden treasures and to tell where serpents may be seen, the which he will bring onto the exerciser without any force or strength being employed by him. Unquote. And that's another thing that the movies get wrong. In both 2016 The Conjuring 2 and 2018's The Nun, Volok, with a K, not a C, is referred to as the defiler. It seems he has a penchant for terrorizing children and nuns in the hopes of possessing them and stealing their souls. 
In actuality, Valak is the demon one would summon if you were looking to achieve great knowledge of things unknown and hidden. He can only give true answers to whatever questions you ask him, and he shows you where hidden treasures are. Obviously, this comes at a price. He's a demon, after all. He's not running a non-profit for mortals. But unfortunately, most people wouldn't mind selling their souls for infinite knowledge of the hidden and unknown. The trick with having the answers to everything you ask is that sometimes you think you want to know something when you really, really don't. Sometimes it's better for the head and the heart to not only not know certain things, but to just maybe never ask the question at all. One thing that the movies did get right though is that Valak is also referred to as the Marquis of Snakes which he is. Valak can take control of snakes and then pass that control over to the person who summoned him without any harm to them. Throughout spiritual circles from around the world, the snake symbolizes wisdom and protection, as well as rebirth, renewal, and primal energy. One who is the master of snakes is the master of rebirth and wisdom, something that people have been searching for for centuries. Think of Ponce de Leon, who supposedly spent his life searching for the Fountain of Youth, or Nicholas Flamel, who created the Philosopher's Stone in the hopes of achieving immortality and constant rebirth. Valak grants those who summon him these capabilities, but once again, for a price. Valak is also known by many different names. In Thomas Rudd's variant of the Lesser Key of Solomon, he is known as Valu. According to Johann Weyer's Pseudomonarchia Daemonium, he is Volak, while in the Liber Officiorum Spiritum, or the Book of the Offices of Spirits, he is known as Kulor or Dulas. The Officiorum Spiritum also states that Volak has command over any household spirits. So, if your house is haunted, the spirits living in your home will be attracted to Valak and do his bidding. This can either be a good thing or a bad thing. It all really depends on how Valak is feeling and whether or not you did anything to piss him off. There are no special spells or incantations associated with Valak, just his sigil, which is a pretty powerful symbol in and of itself. Valak doesn't need spells or incantations just your devotion and the proper formation of his seal. There are certain websites floating around the internet that claim to know how to summon Valak, what to leave him and when to call him, but real talk, most of those are bogus. Not that I would encourage you to summon a demon at all, but if you were to lose your fucking mind and try it, the best reference book to use would be the Lesser Key of Solomon. I mean, I'm sure that Valak is just as much of a fan of gold and gin as the rest of us, but something tells me that that won't be enough. Just draw the sigil and you'll be fine. Well, maybe not fine, but you'll do what you intended to do. Oh, and one more thing. In the completely likely and inevitable event that summoning Volok backfires on you and you find yourself on his bad side, Thomas Rudd wrote that Volok can be vanquished by the Shem Harafash angel Ia Hel. Ia Hel is the guardian angel associated with growth, self-meditation, wisdom, and protection. So, if you need backup, you know who to call. 
The story you're about to hear is one of a man named Henry who just wanted a friend. So when he got one, he didn't mind his friend's odd obsession with an ancient demon. Sometimes things are too good to be true though, and Henry would learn that trusting the wrong person has consequences. And trusting the right person has unbelievable rewards. Henry was a good guy. That's what everyone said at least. Oh Henry, you're such a nice guy. Thanks Henry, you're the best. That Henry man, he's the greatest. It made Henry feel good to know that people thought he was nice and good and sweet, but for all his niceness and goodness, he never seemed to have any friends. Sure, he did lots of favors for people, and he was always there to lend a helping hand, but none of those same people ever seemed to want to hang out or go to the movies or do something with him. Henry would offer, but there were never any takers, and he was left awkwardly watching them come up with an excuse or a way to end the conversation. He tried not to take it too personally. He knew he was kind of boring, but it still stung a little every time someone said no to a lunch invitation. That's how he became friends with Eric, local filmmaker extraordinaire. Eric was loud and boisterous, and people loved him at parties because he always had some fun movie facts to impress them with. Henry found himself helping a coworker move into his new apartment, and Eric, the helpful neighbor, witnessed him ask the man if he wanted to go to the horror film festival in town. The co-worker said no, but Eric said yes, being a horror buff himself. Plus, he said, he was already going. Might as well go together. Eric and Henry watched The Conjuring films together, followed by an Italian dinner and some overpriced wine, courtesy of Eric. The amount of information he had on the films was fascinating. But more impressive than that was all the things he knew about Volok, the big bad demon from the series. He rattled on and on about the inaccuracies of the film, the things about Volok that were dramatized for the film, and the things that got right. He went into depth about the ways to summon him, the ways to vanquish him, the type of demon he was, and his angelic counterpart. Henry was beyond impressed while also being slightly weirded out at how much one person could know about a demon. But he wasn't going to say anything. He was finally making a friend. Why ruin a good thing by asking questions? One night at dinner, Eric brought up his usual subject matter. When you think about it, demons are like every other predatory animal in the world. It had been a solid month of friendship, and Henry was pretty accustomed to this speech. But this time, it was different. You wouldn't go up to a lion and start demanding things and acting stupid, would you? No, because a lion is a predatory animal. If you show it respect and interact with it in a safe manner, it'll be your best friend. Lions have turned on their handlers, though. Because lions don't need to be handled. They need to be free to do what they do, and then you interact with them. Just like a demon. You're definitely oversimplifying this analogy, Henry said. Yeah, maybe, Eric replied with a light chuckle. But I've been thinking about something, and I want to get your opinion on it. Henry perked up. People didn't ask his opinion on much. 
actually. They didn't ask his opinion on anything. So being asked was a nice feeling. I bought this, Eric said, sliding a book across the table. It had a black cover and in engraved metallic silver letters, it read, The Lesser Key of Solomon, Ars Goetia. Henry flipped through it slowly. Strange symbols covered the pages, accompanied by names that he couldn't pronounce. Eric reached across the table and turned to an earmarked page that read, Valak, 62nd President of Hell. Valak? Henry asked. As in the demon from the movie? Again? Yes? Where did you get this book? They sell them at Barnes & Noble. It's not that hard to find. Okay, what am I looking at here? You're looking at an evocation sigil. It took a while for Henry to catch his friend's train of thought. But when he did, his mouth dropped open. I'm sorry, are we having a conversation about summoning demons? No, Eric said. We're having a conversation about summoning a demon. Just one. Balak. Henry wanted to push the book away from him, but they were so new into their friendship, he didn't want to do anything to upset Eric. He put on his most enthusiastic smile and pretended to read. Eric snatched the book from his hands a little too forcefully. The book says that Volok can grant a person true answers of hidden treasures. Do you have any idea what that could do for us? What hidden treasures are you looking for exactly? Henry asked. I don't think it means treasures like Atlantis or the Holy Grail. I think hidden treasures means things that the summoner finds valuable but are unattainable. Things you want but can't find or don't know how to get. And I repeat, what hidden treasures are you looking for? Eric stared off into the distance. Henry thought to himself, had he pushed too far? Was that too personal? He didn't know. He had never had a friend like this before. He hoped he hadn't crossed a line. All I've ever wanted is to make great movies, Eric said. The few I've made were good, but they're low budget and I work with the team that I can get. I want fame. I want greatness. I want money, but I don't know where to find it. Valak can give that to me, but I need you there with me. Why me? Because you're like my best friend, Eric said with a smile. If I'm going to go plunging headfirst into the demonic and unknown, I need my best friend there with me. The sound of being called someone's best friend sent a warmth through Henry's body that made him feel embarrassingly good. He had never had a best friend, or even a close friend for that matter. His life had always been filled with polite acquaintances and friendly co-workers. Now he was someone's best friend, and he wasn't going to let that go. Let's do it, he said. The ritual had to be performed someplace quiet, and Eric had two roommates, so that left Henry's house. He lived alone in a townhouse he had inherited from his parents, and the neighborhood was fairly secluded, so the chances of them being interrupted were slim to none. 
They cleared out the furniture from Henry's den and drew the sigil of Volok in chalk on the hardwood floor. It made him uncomfortable, but Eric was more excited than he had ever seen him before, so he didn't say anything. This'll come off, right? Was all Henry managed to say. Oh yeah, dude, it's just chalk. Henry looked down at the floor and at the candles that were lit around the sigil. It was an inappropriately calm night and all the stars could be seen in the sky. Henry half wished for lightning and thunder to set the mood. The tranquility of the night made him uneasy. Now what do we do? He asked. Eric stood on one side of the sigil and motioned for Henry to do the same opposite him. We don't need fancy words or anything like that. What Valak wants is devotion. Close your eyes, calm your breathing, and visualize Valak. Visualize his image and the power that he holds, and then let yourself succumb to that power. Our devotion, combined with the power of the sigil, should be enough. You just have to want it as much as I do. Henry closed his eyes and pictured Valak. The demon from the movies quickly flooded his mind, but he shook his head and erased the image. Remember the book, he thought to himself. The lesser key of Solomon. The image from the text. The winged boy riding a two-headed dragon. He imagined the look of innocence on his face, marred only by the seriousness and severity of his eyes. He thought of what Volok would do to them if this didn't go well. He didn't want to die. He definitely didn't want to die in a painful way. But instead of feeling afraid, he leaned into that feeling of intensity. Valak had the power to kill him if he wanted to, and in whatever fashion pleased him. Henry respected that power and mentally prostrated himself at the demon's feet. Henry? He heard Herrick call. Open your eyes. Slithering across the floor of the room and pulling to the center of the sigil were snakes. Thick anacondas, small garden snakes, copperheads, rattlesnakes, and black mambas. Snakes that Henry had never seen before, and those he knew would kill him in less than a minute. They wriggled their way past Eric and Henry and formed a pile on top of the sigil, which began to glow red. From the mound of snakes emerged an angelic figure, a cherub with the face of a small boy. He would have been a beautiful sight, if not for the dragon he straddled between his legs. The creature blinked his four slitted eyes at the men, both heads looking bored and annoyed. Ego sum valak, the demon said. Quiestuque me vocavit. Henry didn't know Latin, but for some curious reason, his mind was translating the words into English for him. Mighty president of hell, Eric responded confidently. He was apparently having the same reaction. I have summoned you here today in the hopes of being bestowed the gift of knowing the unknown. I want the treasures that are hidden to me. Henry was dumbstruck by his tone. What happened to respecting the predator? And you believe... I will give these to you, Valak asked slowly. I know you will, Eric said, because I have brought you a gift, 
a human soul for you to take in exchange for the gifts you will give me. Henry did a double take. What the hell? What was he talking about? He never agreed to offering up some poor schmuck to the demon. Volok looked from Henry to Eric, and in his eyes, Henry saw what was happening. It was him. He was being given up like a lamb to slaughter. What are you doing? Henry asked his supposed friend. Eric ignored him, desperation glistening in his eyes. The treasure I seek is so close and yet so far beyond my reach. I don't know why it's hidden from me, but it is. I need to find a way to get what I want. I deserve it. I've worked too hard not to have it. Eric, what are you doing? Henry asked again. I thought you were my friend. But Eric wasn't listening. Volok looked deeply into Henry's eyes. What treasures do you seek? He asked him. He seeks nothing, Eric yelled. That's why I brought him for you. He doesn't have any family or friends. He doesn't want anything or need anything. He's empty. Henry burst into silent tears. How could he have been so stupid? He should have known that it was good to be true. So you have brought me an empty tribute? Valak said to Eric, although his eyes remained on Henry. No, Eric sputtered. He's a good man. He's, he's just pathetic. So you have brought me a pathetic offering, Valak said. Eric looked from Henry to Valak and back again. He was panicking. Henry could tell. Fear was making his body visibly shake. The confidence he showed before was long gone. What treasures do you seek? Volok asked Henry again. Henry met the demon's black eyes. I don't want to die, he responded. He should have been afraid, but he wasn't. All he felt now was sadness and defeat. I just wanted a friend. He's right. I am pathetic. I want people to like me. I want people to celebrate big moments with and people to cry through bad moments with. That's my hidden treasure. Is it so wrong for someone to crave companionship? I've been alone for so long. You see? Eric yelled. Pathetic! You know what I want. I pray to you every night and tell you what I want. And I know that you hear me. I have summoned you here so that you can give me that. Take him and give me what I want. Volok looked into Henry's eyes. Henry felt his mind be prodded open and searched. It felt like footsteps being made in the sands of his mind. I will grant you the answers to your treasures, the demon said. Thank you, my lord, 
Eric said, but as he tried to approach Falak, the snakes at the center of the sigil lunged forward and attacked him. They bit into his neck, his arms, his legs, and his face. They slithered over him and trapped him underneath their weight. Henry, help me! Henry could hear Eric's muffled screams of pain, but didn't move to help him. Falak flew over to Henry and placed a finger on his forehead. Here are the true answers to your hidden treasures. A flash of white light blinded Henry and sent him reeling backwards. His head felt as though it were about to explode as immense pressure began to build and build until finally it erupted. Henry awoke the following morning in his own bed, under his own sheets, with the sun shining through his bedroom windows. All the furniture in his den was where it was supposed to be, and there were no signs of any chalk sigil or snakes to be found. Eric was missing, but for some odd reason, everybody around Henry was unbothered by that fact and appeared to care very little for the man. People liked Eric. Why didn't anyone care? Henry thought he knew why, but he wasn't going to say anything. Over the next couple of weeks, Henry found he had a particular talent for wrangling snakes. They were drawn to him and he was drawn to them. Even the deadliest of snakes would curl up at Henry's feet and allow itself to be touched and held by him. He had such a talent for it that he got a job at the serpentological department of his local museum and quickly flourished. He made friends quickly, something he had never been able to do before, and people were amazed with Henry's ability to pinpoint specific aspects of their personality. He could guess your favorite color, ice cream flavor, movie, band, or vacation spot. He knew what breed your childhood dog was, what phobias you carried with you, and what your dreams and aspirations were. But more than that, he could comfort you and inspire you to do these things and to face your fears. Henry was the friend that everyone wanted to have. They didn't even mind the snakes. Would you trust Volok to give you the answers that you so desperately seek? Would you trust him to unveil the hidden treasures that you have been longing for? Or is your opinion of him forever tainted because of a fictional movie? The problem with movies is that sometimes they warp our minds. They stop us from seeing what's real and what's not, and what's dangerous and what's not. If Volok appeared and he didn't look like the giant monstrous demon that you're used to, what are the chances that you would give him the respect that he deserves? Because let's be real, if a small boy riding a two-headed dragon came to me and said, I am Volok, I would do a double take and maybe ask a few questions. If you've learned anything from this demonic series, I hope it's that appearances can be deceiving and we should be careful how we talk to any demonic being. In the end, we're mortal and they are not. 
I don't want to end up on the wrong side of a demon's temper simply because I watched a movie way too many times. Do you? Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. This is part six and the final episode in our series on demons from around the world. That was fun, wasn't it? We're going back to our regularly scheduled spooky programming and the next episode is a weird one, so I hope you're all ready. Tune into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor for more episodes. And while you're there, don't be afraid to rate and subscribe. Make sure you follow the podcast too on Instagram at Scary Stories for the Soul Pod and Twitter at Scary for the Soul. Until next time. <laughs>